If you have a Bible, please open to Micah chapter seven. If you are using one of the pew Bibles, I believe it's on page seven hundred eighty. Micah chapter seven. This is going to be the last sermon in the series of preaching the book of this minor prophet. And my brothers have done excellent works in the past few weeks, so that it leads to the climax of the whole book. Last week, you all hear that Pat was trying to steal information from my chapter. So this evening, if I can make Pat happy, I'll be able to go home safely. Let us go to the Lord for His help. O Lord God Almighty, who am I to preach Your word? All I can do is try to get out of the way and not mess up the message, because Your word itself can preach. Lord, by Your mercy, may You use Your servant to distribute the spiritual food, and may Your people will be satisfied in You. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of God. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood. And each hunts the other with the night. Their hands are on what is evil, to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment, has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against Him. Until He pleads my cause and ex- executes judgment for me, He will bring me out of the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, "Where is the Lord your God?" My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt. And from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain, but the earth will be desolate because of because of its inhabitants, for the fruit of their deeds, 
Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest, in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths; their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance? He does not retain His anger forever, because He delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Human beings are born experts of looking for excuses. Do you agree? We are all good at finger pointing. When trouble comes, we immediately immediately look for the source from the outside, but not within. The room is messy. Mom is angry. It is my brother's fault. I couldn't find a job. It's the economy's fault. I am still single. It's woman's fault. Coronavirus is China's fault. Gas prices rises on high. It's Russia and Democrats' fault. Etc. 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 Moreover, if we put ourselves in an identity group and apply critical theory, we are all victims of someone or some groups of people. Simply put, in this trend, our troubles are because we are surprised by some other people. It is always someone else's fault, but not mine. Therefore, we want to fix others. We are passionate about changing the world. But the tragedy is, without the grace of God, without the gospel, we cannot change others because we cannot even change ourselves. And the way we change the world is doomed to be a big mess. You see, the problem of this world is not that no one wants to change it. The problem of this world is too many people wants to change it, but very few wants to change themselves, and no one can really change themselves to be a righteous person in God's eyes. Does it sound familiar to what happened in Genesis chapter three, after Adam and Eve took the forbidden fruit? God asked Adam. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Adam said, "The woman whom you gave to me gave to be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate." Then God said to Eve, "What is this that you have done?" The woman said, "The serpent deceived me, and I ate." You see, in this narrative, when the curse or punishment comes, Adam passed the buck to Eve. 
and Eve to the serpent. It seems that only the serpent didn't look for excuses. And and if you pay close attention to what Adam and Eve had said, fundamentally they pointed their fingers back to God, the Creator. It is because you that we sinned. It is because you created the woman. It is because you created the serpent and put in the garden. Friends, it is a sin in us that needs to be changed. We are the troublemakers. Before you want to make the world a better place, you have to start it from you. But the question is, can you? Can you change yourself? Can you improve yourself to be a better person? Do you have the power and ability? The good news is the answers to these questions can be found in this chapter. The passage will be divided into three parts. The first part is from verses one to six, Judah's sin and God's judgment. The second part is God's salvation to the remnants, from verses seven to seventeen, and the third part is about how God's judgment and salvation come together for His people, from verses eighteen to the end of the chapter. And we are going and we are going to look at them one by one. First, Judah's sin and God's judgment. After the prophet Micah foretold the national crisis of Judah is coming in chapter six, he did not immediately look for the source from outside. Hear what he says in verse one. Micah cries out, "Woe is me! Woe is me!" For I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. Micah rightly diagnosed that the reason for the national crisis of Judah, the reason for the upcoming disaster, not merely because of others, but also himself. Brothers and sisters. This has to be a person who is under the grace of God can do that, because it is against our nature. After the fall, our tendency is to blame others. The contemporary prophet of Micah is Isaiah. You remember what happened in Isaiah chapter six when the prophet Isaiah saw the glorious and mighty God present in temple. And he saw the seraphim, seraphim, cover their faces and call to each other, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts; the whole earth is full of His glory." What did Isaiah do at that moment? He immediately realized himself is a sinner. He said, "Woe is me, for I am lost." For I am a man of unclean lips. Who else that you can think of? Peter. When Peter saw Jesus' miracle of catching a lot of fish, he immediately fell down on his knees and said, "Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." Brothers and sisters, the ability to recognize that we are the troublemakers. Is a sign of we are receiving God's grace. Then Micah uses an analogy in this chapter. He compares himself to a vine dresser. 
A vine dresser worked hard for a year and come to the vineyard in summer to gather the fruit. See what he saw in the second half of verse one. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. Of course, this is this is an analogy. When Micah uses analogy of vine, people at that time would immediately think of Israel. Just like if I say tulip, you may think of the Netherlands. If I say cherry blossom, you may think of Japan. Vine, Israel. In Psalm 80, the poet says, "You you brought a vine out of Egypt." You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. When then have you broken down its walls, so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. The recipients of Micah knew that the the analogy was about them. Either the vine failed to produce the fruit, or the fruit was gathered by someone else. Therefore, nothing is left in the vineyard. But according to the Torah. There should have been something left. Leviticus 19:9-10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. The fruitless vineyard represents no righteous man in front of God's eyes. In verse two, the godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. And if we keep reading, we can see that their vices are: they all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a knife. Their hands are on what is evil, to do it well. And so on. This is in comparison what comparison to Micah chapter six verse eight. O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Apparently, we all fail this task. We are all covenant breakers because we. Do not do what God commanded us to do. Our righteousness was corrupted, and we cannot bear fruit. How does it relate to us? You know, when we are involved with a good church community for a while, we tend to see what we are. We tend to see we are all the good people. We measure our faith based on the people around us. And our social and financial status. Pharisees could easily recognize that our Savior was eating meals with a group of sinners, because among them 
were tax collectors and、uh, prostitutes. Ironically, the people who needed Jesus the most were Pharisees, who were the top char- characters in society. Brothers and sisters, we are all needy people. The people who sit beside you, his faith or her faith, is not yours. You need Jesus, no matter whether you are American or Chinese, Jewish or Gentiles. Not because you have a good career, marry a beautiful wife, have a bunch of adorable kids, then you are immune to sins. We are all sinners, and we all need Christ. There is no one single moment in our lives that we do not need the grace of God. Because Jesus says in John fifteen five, "I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me." You can do nothing. In Micah seven, Micah compares himself to a vine dresser, and Israel as the vine. In John fifteen, Jesus compares God the Father as a vine dresser, himself to a himself as the vine. In Matthew chapter two, Matthew chapter two verses thirteen to fifteen. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, "Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him." And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to f- fulfill what the Lord has. Had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is a true Israel, who abides in Him are spiritual Israelites. The concept of Israel as a nation failed to produce fruit, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Says in First Corinthians, fifteen verse twenty, verse twenty-three, Christ the first fruits, then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. The Israelites who lived in Micah's era failed to obey God's command on justice and righteousness, but Jesus came to fulfill the law. This is our hope, brothers and sisters. In verse four of this chapter, Micah also compared himself to watchman. He announced a national crisis, a punishment from the Lord following God's people breaking the covenant by their evil deeds. However, in the darkest time, it seems the prophet implies that beyond God's judgment, there is also salvation. In verse seven. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. What Micah is talking about? Oh, wait a minute! You just announced a、uh, a lot of bad news in chapter six. Of course, there was there was no 
chapter divisions of the original book, but you know what I'm talking about. You just said God will punish the southern kingdom of Judah because of their sin, and God had certainly punished the northern kingdom of Israel. Now you are talking about salvation. Wait a minute. What about our iniquities? What about God's justice? We are living in a strange world. We are living in a world that sin is not sin, and if sin is not sin, then we don't like being punished or taking any responsibilities for our behaviors. If you like musicals, you probably have watched *Less Miserables* in 2012, featured Hugh Jackman and Anne Hathaway. The story is based on a fiction by Victor Hugo. There is a character whose name is Jean Valjean, who stole a loaf of bread for his family, and the context and the context of this story was around the French Revolution. Jean Valjean was caught by a lieutenant when he was stealing the bread, and he was sentenced to a few years in prison, serving heavy labor. Jean Valjean did not feel that he deserved that punishment, so he escaped the prison when a good, good chance happened. So the rest of the story was the lieutenant trying to bring Jean Valjean back to the prison and take the punishment. No matter no matter where Jean Valjean escaped, the lieutenant will find him eventually. There was a time. Jean Valjean became a very warm-hearted entrepreneur in a small town, and he helped many poor people. But even that, the lieutenant still found him and tried to capture him for what he had done in the past. *Last Miserables* is one of my favorite fictions because it manifests the concept of justice well. Brothers and sisters, we all have sinned. Yes, we may also have done some good things, according to our standards, but you cannot use what you have done for good to cover what you did wrong. That will never gonna work. Like Arsis Bro always says, "What do you do with your guilt?" God is Almighty and all-knowing. He knows where we escaped, and His justice will run us down eventually. No matter where we go, like any human author, I can feel Hugo is trying to balance the concept of justice and grace. But there are some limitations in this story. We tend to be content.、Uh, we tend to be compassionate about Jean Valjean, but who like me? I'm more compassionate about the lieutenant. He always does what he is supposed to do to punish iniquities. We tend to think a small crime is not a crime. Stealing a piece of bread is not a big deal. I just lied once in my lifetime. I just took a small bite of the forbidden fruit. Why does God so fuss about it? Why does God? Why does He threaten people to go to hell to experience eternal punishment? Brothers and sisters. We really need to understand God's justice 
before we can understand how sweet and precious His grace is. When we sing, who are we really offending? Thomas Watson is helpful here. The reason why sin committed in a short time is eternally punished is because every sin is committed against the king's person, which is sacred. Much more that offense which is against God's crown and dignity is of a heinous and infinite nature and cannot be satisfied with less than eternal punishment. Now the question comes, why Micah is so helpful in verse 7 after he announced the national crisis? But as for me, I will look, I will wait, I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. This leads to the second point of this sermon. God's salvation to the remnant. Michael here brought up, brought up the concept of the remnant, which is not everyone will be entered through God's judgment, but some will receive his salvation. This is the hope in the darkest moment. But when will Micah's prophecy finally be, re- be realized? Because we know that the northern kingdom of Israel was captive by Assyrians in 722 BC. And the southern kingdom of Judah was captive by Babylonians in 586 BC, over 100 years after Micah's prophecy. The prophecy of Micah is realizing through the invisible church. You can say it is the sum of God's people, his remnant, or his elect. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. So we have talked about the people in the southern kingdom of Judah who sinned, and God was going to judge them. And we also talked about God will give some people salvation. But how does God bring judgment and salvation together to his people? This comes to our third point. And the hint is in verses 18 to 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever. Brothers and sisters, let us pause here for a moment. Why will God not retain his anger forever to the remnant? You remember after Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to two men on the road of Amias. Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I wish I was there to listen to how our Lord Jesus interprets Micah concerning himself, but I was not there. So I can only guess how Micah points to Christ. I would guess the seemingly unbridgeable chasm 
between God's punishment and God's salvation to the remnant in this book prophesizes the future coming of Jesus. However, Jesus has come already. He filled the gap, and God's justice and grace were perfectly met on Jesus' redemption work on the cross. Back to our opening questions. Can we change ourselves to be a better person who does not cause troubles? The answer is no, we cannot. Do we have the power and ability to change ourselves? The answer is no, we do not have the power and ability. But Jesus can. He can change us when we abide in him, the true vine. We cannot produce righteous fruit because we, we can produce righteous fruit because of him. Brothers and sisters, we don't want God's punishment. We need his salvation. But how can we satisfy, satisfy God's justice but also receive his grace? Let me tell you, don't waste your time. You cannot find a place to meet God's justice and God's grace at the same time except on the cross. Cross is where God's justice and, and God's grace perfectly met in one person. Jesus is what Micah really prophesied in this book. Brothers and sisters, Micah's hope is also our hope. Micah says in verse 8, When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. It is still the greatest mystery in history. Why God could run us down for our sins, but when he catches us, he stretched his arms and say, Welcome home, my children. Like Charles Wesley wrote, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldest die for me? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we... Thank you. We thanks, thank you for you did not um, exercise judgment on us. But instead, you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, died for our sins on the cross so that you save a remnant for you. And Lord, may, you, um, may your Spirit be with us so that we can abide in the true vine, Jesus Christ and bear the fruit. May you revive us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.